My name is Hemish Langaratne, and I'm the founder of RX Group and the host of Let's Talk Quality. Let's Talk Quality is a podcast aimed at quality assurance professionals in pharma and biotech. Join us to learn from some of the best QA leaders around the world and hear how they've developed their careers as they provide some practical insights into how they've got to the top of their field. Our mission is to shine a light on what good quality assurance really means for pharma and biotech. What impact does it really have on the patient? We want to explore some of the biggest challenges facing the sector and inspire the next generation of quality assurance leaders to continue to help bring safer and better quality therapies to patients. Welcome to season one. I hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to Let's Talk Quality. Today's guest is Edward Armstrong. Ed is the Vice President of Quality at Mustang Bio. Mustang Bio is a clinical stage biotech focused on cell and gene therapies in hematology, oncology, and rare genetic diseases. Not only is Ed working in the fascinating space of autologous cell therapy, CAR-Ts, and AAB gene therapies, he's a highly respected leader and also presents on a range of different courses for the SQA. He's also presenting at the 8th CAR-TCR Summit in Boston later this month. Really excited to speak with him. I hope you enjoy the show. Thanks for joining um, and welcome to the show. Um, do you want to give us and the listeners a um, a quick overview of who you are and, and what your role is? Absolutely. So my name, of course, Ed Armstrong. I am currently serving as Mustang Bio's Vice President of Quality. I have been in compliance for 29 years. I'm very unique in my role in that my degree is actually in quality control, non-destructive testing. It's a industrial. It's a type of industrial engineering degree that is that looks at material sciences and compliance. Since I left college in 1994, I've done exclusively quality and compliance. 26 of those years have been in regulated industry with FDA, EU, and other worldwide regulators. Brilliant. So you're you're you've been at Mustang now for five, six years or so. Um, yep. I'm sure you've uh, seen a lot of change in that, that time within the business, within the, the, the ATMP space. Um, you, you're obviously working in a very exciting area of um, medicine, um, cell and gene therapy. What, what do you think makes a, a good quality assurance professional or a good quality assurance leader within that space and how that, how's, that, how's that evolved over the last few years? It really comes down to understanding while the technology has changed, the regulations have not. The same, the same GMP regulations that were released under uh, 21 CFR 211 in 1978 still apply today. The same regulations in 610 that were released a couple of years before 1978 are still in place today. It's interpreting the technology and interpreting the regulatory requirements and bringing the two together successfully. And that's really the key. Uh, in cell and gene therapy, of course, we have that uh, we have that requirement for end-to-end traceability from the point in the autologous world I serve in, where we harvest a patient for their starting materials. We then bring that starting material to our manufacturing site, and then we need to track that material back into that patient. The regulations around warehousing, distribution, and accounting for a drug product still apply. It's how we apply that technology, and quality professionals have to adapt the technology to that regulatory framework. Yeah, and talk to us about, I suppose, the significance of what you are doing at Mustang. 
The significance of what we're doing here at Mustang is because we're an autologous cell therapy that's really focused around the oncology realm, we're truly trying to take a bite out of cancer. And when you look at the marketed products around CAR-Ts, you're seeing that CAR-T really does make a huge impact in patients' lives when it comes to oncology and treatment of cancers. The work that we're doing here with Mustang is taking that next step with the improvements around lentiviral vector, improvements in manufacturing processes, improvements in more closed uh, methodologies around the manufacturing process. Yeah, it's, it's, it's such an inter interesting area. I mean, how do you think um, the cell therapy, the, the gene therapy landscape has evolved in, in the six years that you've been there? Because obviously, you know, it's not like traditional pharma and biologics where we've got no. 50 to 100 years of data technology um, <laughs> behind us um, and a vast ba you know, base of suppliers. How have, yeah. how have things evolved over the, just the recent years in, in terms of since you've been at Mustang? Even just over the recent years, so with our first technology that we did, my head of QC and I had to sit down and figure out how to do simple things like stability. Yeah. You know, normally in a biotech, I walk out, I grab a thousand vials, and I, okay, that's now my, that's now my stability program. Well, we had to invent a way of using healthy donors to do stability. Well, then here comes the FDA finally with a guidance document that says, hey, you should really think about how you can incorporate patient material into your stability program. So now we're looking at how we can do that because, again, in the autologous world, one patient, one product. Hmm. I can't tell a cancer patient you're not, getting a, you're not getting a product. So we have to look at different ways that we could harvest a, another set of material or how we can leverage the material that we get for a product to produce that stability material. Some of the other things that have changed is that the industry has driven a lot of what's been going on around cell and gene therapy. The agencies are finally catching up. And what I'm seeing in our industry is this beautiful synergy between the regulators and the manufacturers. And it's regulators and manufacturers really working hand in hand, shoulder to shoulder, to bring these new technologies to the market. So let's talk, so, so what are the challenges then? Because like you say, there's a, there's a, there's a, um... You know, some unique challenges there within the ATMP world. So what are the the, the, key, the key challenges that you guys face, the industry faces, and, and what are some of the, I suppose, ways, ways forward um, over the, the next few years? Well, the easy ones from a compliance perspective are when you're looking at product release, when you're looking at incoming testing, things like that, compendial methods are really difficult to apply. We rely heavily on things like flow cytometry and other rapid assays, uh, for example, for sterility. Those really don't follow a compendial guideline. So you do need to look at how you're developing those. You do need to spend a little bit more time in your analytical development space. Other areas of challenge that we run into really become in the autologous space is we have zero control over our starting material. We don't control the patient and how that patient does. Simple things like, did the patient show up for their harvest? Mm. Did they show up for their leukapheresis or their bone marrow extraction? And the cascade effect that that has in your manufacturing process. Another pressure we have is in some cases, manufacturing can take up to 10 days then you have another X days of product release. So a lot of care providers are going, I don't know if I can wait 20 days to be able to treat a patient. What can you do to shorten that time? What can you do to shorten your manufacturing process? You know, the, the testing process is pretty well fixed. You have to do sterility. 
And if you're doing a traditional compendial, compendial sterility, that's a 14-day process. Bugs grow as bugs grow. Mm. There's no real way to shorten that. Now, you can go look at technologies like the uh, BACT3D, and that's more of a rapid sterility. You can get down around 10 or less days there, but that's really based on what your environment shows you. So those are some of the challenges that we continually run against within this environment. Additionally is how do you scale that up? You know, it's one thing mm -hmm. to have a 10-day manufacturing with a 10-day release process during your phase one or phase two or even phase three clinical process. But how do you then take that process and scale it up to a commercial setting? Yeah. You know, you take a look at something like, you know, uh, a non-Hodgkin lymphoma where you have 80,000 patients in the U.S. a year. How would you scale that up to even take over 1% of that market? As you move through clinical trials from early phase to, you know, phase two, phase three, what does, do you see the organization changing? Is, it, is, it, is there a different level of maturity from a quality perspective that is needed um, as, you, as you move closer to that commercialization stage? Absolutely. And that's, and that's really driven by that wonderful, unique phrase that we've come up with in the industry, uh, uh, phase appropriate quality, right? Mm, yeah. You know, there are certain things that there's, so for example, potency assays really aren't necessary to be locked down until you get to your pivotal trial. In cell and gene therapy, that can be anything from phase two to phase three based on how you set your trial up. So those are those things that you have to build upon as you progress through your clinical trial and adding more structure around your processes. There's always things where you're going to need to review, say like your your submissions to make sure that any changes you're doing in your manufacturing don't require notification to an agency. But at the same time, as you progress to that process, you have to tighten up your risk management, you need to tighten up your change process, and you need to have more of your manufacturing and testing processes locked down. Yeah, it's interesting. And um, I suppose the, let's talk about quality um what's your i suppose what's your outlook on 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 good quality um how is it how has it changed how has it progressed and, and developed in, in throughout your career and and leadership journey the biggest change for me has been you know when i first got into the gmp world it was you know in the us the gmps the gmps and the, you can go talk to the rest of the world and what i've seen over my time in us-based manufacturing is that the FDA has become more cognizant and involved in the global affairs. So when you look at the ICH guidelines, you see the FDA very heavily involved in that. And you're seeing more of a partnership between the different organizations, whether it's EMA, MHRA, uh, Invisa, TGA, you're seeing more involvement and more collaboration between those agencies. And what we're beginning to see is more of a meshing of those regulatory requirements. Uh, there is a recommended change to United States Food and Drug Administration's med device requirements under 21 CFR 820 to yeah. directly refer and reference to an ISO standard, ISO 1345-2016. For somebody that's been in the industry for 26 years like I've been, to see the FDA directly reference an ISO standard or recommend to reference an ISO standard and regulation, to me, that's a, that's a big change. Right now in the United States, the FDA is working on something called quality management maturity, yeah. which for years in industry, it's been 
we met GMP. That's all we need to do. And what the FDA is now saying is that's good, but we can be better. We need to introduce continuous improvement in the pharma world, which of course would impact, uh, it, which would impact cell and gene therapy directly. We would we would be looking at how do we look and measure continuous improvement in pharma? What does that look like? And we'd be partnering directly with our agencies to measure that. And as an industry, have a voice in how that's measured and how that's scored. So that quality management maturity regulation that the FDA has worked on, what should companies, what should quality leaders be doing at this right now to prepare for that? Are there any practical, um, tangible things that functions should be aware of, should be doing um, before it before it comes into play, so QMM quality management charity is pulling on is pulling on ICH Q8 9 10 11 and 12. So our quality leadership should be really embracing the tenets of that. Most of us already embrace ICH Q10. It becomes the basis of everybody's quality management system. Yeah. But really fundamentally embracing those and then measuring those in your systems, how you're in. How are you really applying risk? Is your risk management process a check mark, or is it fully integrated into how you manage your business day to day? Is it something that's done by that weird quality group, or is it something that's been infused in the program and in the development? What does your life cycle of your product really look like? Have you truly developed what that life cycle looks like? And then what are those real key measures? Something that my leadership and I are working on right now within Mustang as part of our as part of our QMM uh, our QMM journey is to do away with the traditional management review where we get together once or twice a year in a very formal managerial setting and look at slides that are in some cases three months old. What are those key measures that we can look at daily or weekly? to measure how well our quality management system is doing, how well we're serving the patient, and how well we're serving our internal resources. That's one of those fundamental shifts that we need to look at. Yeah. And what are those measures that you that you look at? Are you able to, to just talk about that in a bit more detail, about like what actual specific things do, should be measured from a... <laughs> In a maturity standpoint, is that, right? Exactly. Is that tangible? So, you know, one of the one of the things that you know one of the things you measure is how well do you close your change controls, right? Do you, do you, yeah. the, the traditional do you close your change controls in the sixty days? Yeah. What we're now looking at is okay. What are we changing? Why are we changing? And how are we changing it? And then if we're making this change A over here, what is that cascade over there with that process that we need to be thinking about? Okay. And while it's not perfect yet. It's still got a lot. It's still got some growth to do it. What it's helping us do is it's helping us think about how we're making changes, and that, and that kind of cascade event beyond that. Mm. Yeah, it's really interesting. So, and in your role as VP, so you've progressed from um, oh well over the last five years from you know um, up from through the directors through to, to VPs. Um, we've got a team underneath you. What does the leadership journey look like for you? What are your, um, I suppose, values and um, principles when it comes to leading a quality function? In in the world of GMP, our quality function under 211.22 rules responsibilities of the quality control unit, we are the eyes and the ears of the FDA. And while that's a responsibility that we carry, 
it comes with a lot of expectations. And what we have to do as quality professionals is understand that while we're responsible, we have to share that responsibility with the other, other talent within the organization. When I'm building a quality unit, I look for those quality professionals that understand what it really means to be compliant, what our responsibilities truly are, which is patient safety. That's really what we're looking for. One of, the, one of the toughest things for a leader, especially in quality to do, is say, I don't know. Let me go look that up. And that is probably the biggest lesson that I've learned in my career is to be able to say, I don't know. Let me go look it up. And also, sometimes it's okay to be wrong. Even yesterday, I was wrong in a meeting, and it was, it was kind of relieving. It's like, oh, yeah, that's right. That regulation really says X. I was thinking of this regulation which says Y. It's okay to be wrong. It's how, you, it's how you learn, and it's helping those team members understand that and helping them understand that as quality, we, we don't have to be perfect. We don't have to have all the answers all the time. Sometimes we do have to go back and reread the regulations. Sometimes we need to go back and reread that procedure, but it's that, we're, it's that we know how to do that. Yeah, it's that authenticity and vul- yeah. vulner- vulnerability of... Um not you know not being not being scared to 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 say you've made a mistake mistakes are going to happen in, in all aspects of life in, in quality um yeah. but taking ownership of that is, is good leadership and and do you um what what you know as you're building t- a team as you're um su- succession planning for the future what attributes are you looking for in in future quality leaders understanding that the regulations were written in a way that the regulations tell us the what we're going to do. The how needs to be defined by us. And when you go from company to company to company, you know, I've, I've worked in seven companies in my career. None of my procedures have looked exactly the same because I've had to come in and develop those procedures around the process that are in place today. So it's taking those quality professionals that can come in, look at the process as it exists that's been developed for that company, and then build their processes around that. And that really is key for any quality professional to be able to do. Mm. There, there's, an old saying, there's an old saying in the US, and it comes from one of the military branches. I want to say it's the Marines. Adapt, overcome, and improvise. Yeah. And that's, that's really key in, uh, in compliance sometimes. And what about the softer skills, um, you know, as opposed to some of the more technical aspects of the of the role you know and a lot of times i've heard the term quality is the office of product prevention Hmm. and that's can't be anything farther from the truth we are not the office of product prevention we are an integrated team member like everybody else so for quality professionals we really have to be able to ask the right questions and get the right answers one of the things uh, a young quality professional came to me one time and said i've been in quality exactly one week and everybody expects me to have all the answers I said, great news. I've been in quality for more than 20 years and I still don't have all the answers. <laughs> it's how we elicit those answers. It's yeah. how we sit and partner with those team members. You know, when we're going over simple deviation, deviations happen. Deviations are not evil. Deviations are not a punishment. And it's helping our team members understand that case and working with them directly to help resolve the, what that deviation was and making them feel proud of the fact that 
hey, I identified a problem in my system and I helped fix it. I didn't have a deviation. I helped come up with a solution. It's helping those quality team members find those soft skills or enhance those soft skills to be able to do that. Yeah. Yeah, it's really good. Yeah, it sound, I mean, it sounds like one of the key themes throughout your career and your leadership career has been that um, that uh, vulnerability and openness with your your team members leading from the front um, mandate. Is that is that something that you've you've always done throughout the career? Is it have you learned from other people? Have you learned the hard way, or is it just been <laughs> is it been um, inherited inherent in you? Every 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 one of those columns applies. A, yeah. a little bit of inherent acti- a little bit of inherent personality. Being an extrovert, it's easy for me to do that. Hmm. I've had some incredible mentors in my career. I would I would love to name them by name, uh, but I've got I've, I have I've had the blessing of having really great quality mentors, but also really great mentors. Uh, I have a, a dear friend who was my operations head at my last company, hmm. and I learned so much from them as well. Hmm. I've also learned from my team. I don't really lead from in the front. I lead shoulder to shoulder. And it wasn't until I read the Shackleton, the Shackleton way that I figured out what I was doing. Uh, Shackleton had this really unique leadership style where he led in shoulder to shoulder with his teams. But what he also did is he pulled his weaker team members closer to him and he pushed his stronger team members out in front to their success so they could build their own names. And it was interesting to figure out that, okay, that's the way I've been leading for a lot of my career. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You've, um, you've replicated that um, throughout your career. Yeah. So so I suppose just to cap, cap things off, what would you, what advice would you give to, um, to leaders coming through, to QA professionals that are maybe a, even officer or associate level that want to get into management and leadership and, and progress through to, you know, all the way up to, to, to VP and beyond level? Remember, you're always learning. You're never perfect. You never know everything. You never know all the regulations by heart. You're always learning and you're learning from those above you. You're learning from those next to you and you're learning from those that you're leading. You know, you have to be, to be a good teacher. You also have to be a good learner. Something else for quality professionals is that you're in a career field that is very unique in this industry. You know, if you're a, if you're a chemical engineer, if you're a bench scientist, those are kind of part and parcel. You're going to do those the same thing, kind of a, here comes this great career in quality and you can do anything in here. I've had the I've had the luck of doing product development, pharmacovigilance, uh, product release and everything in between. It's an incredible career field where you can touch every portion of your business. And we truly make a difference in patients' lives because of everything we do touch and the integration that we have throughout the manufacturing process. And Ed, what what excites you now? Like, what gets you up in the morning and and um, motivates you and, and drives you now in your career? Other than the eight pound cat on my chest wanting to get fed in the morning, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it really is the fact that I love what I do. I am passionate about quality and compliance. You know, I truly enjoy what we do. I have a team of 24 individuals that I am lucky to serve with and that every day I get to come in here and help teach them and help learn from them. And then we have right now a clinical subject in manufacturing right now. 
and I know decisions I've done, processes I've put in place are going to make a significant difference in that person's life once they get dosed with this product. And it uh, that really motivates me. That keeps me going. Brilliant. So well, it sh- it shines through in in how you how you communicate, how you come across your enthusiasm your passion for for everything that you speak about so it it, it 100 shines through and what do you you're obviously an early riser i think it's 6 30 or nearly seven o'clock <laughs> in the morning where, where you are it's about midday over here in in the in sunny well not very sunny actually um london but um what, what are you what, what do you like doing what's uh what does ed do outside of work um passionate reader i've always got three to four different books going on I am a podcast enthusiast. I can't yeah. tell you the number of podcasts I've got going right now. <laughs> we spoke about this, didn't we? <laughs> yes, we did. Um, I love to. I I love being outdoors. Uh, summer is my time of the year, so I enjoy getting out. Uh, I live on a lake, so getting out. Uh, I have a water bike. Take the water bike out. Go for a, go for a ride around the lake. That's a lot of fun, wow. and uh, I enjoy spending time with uh, my best friend and partner for the last. 17 years uh who's also a quality professional and right, okay. uh she's she's an incredible spirit and i love uh, i love the time we get to hang out together brilliant well um ed if it's been a really um really interesting really useful some great takeaways that hopefully that um people can take from from the episode um if people want to reach out to you um to learn more if um a qa professional wants to um you know, not necessarily be mentored, but understand how you've got to where you are. What, what's the best way to reach you? Uh, through LinkedIn, of course. Yeah. Just look me on LinkedIn, Edward Armstrong. I'll be right out there and uh, be more than happy if anybody has any questions, comments, concerns, issues, or if they want to discuss anything we discussed today, uh, please feel free to reach out. Brilliant. Well, thank you very much for coming on the show, Ed. It's been a pleasure. I know that you've got a couple of um, conferences that you're speaking at later on in the year in, in Boston. You've got the car TCR um, summit in August, September time. So best of luck with with that. Um, thank you very much. And um, I'm also teaching I'm also teaching two GMP courses in the end of September for okay. the Society of Quality Assurance at their regional chapters meeting in uh, Charlotte. So if anybody nice. needs to get their GMP training in, and wants to do an a uh, entry level GMP course as well as an advanced GMP course, please feel free to reach out. I'm more than happy to connect you with that. There you go. Well, we can put all the the links and stuff in the um, in the comments of the show. So, um, yeah, definitely. Um, well, look, thanks very much, Ed. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for joining us, and um, um, we'll um, talk in soon. Have a have a Thank good you again, day, Amish. So good to see you again, my friend. Thank you for listening to today's show. I hope that you got value from it, whether you're starting your career in quality or if you're at the top of your field. Today's episode was brought to you by RX Group. I'm the founder of RX Group. We are a pharma and biotech recruitment organization focusing purely on quality assurance. We recruit consultants and senior level permanent quality professionals into the pharma and biotech industry. If we can support you, whether that be in a hiring capacity or if you yourself are looking for work, Please get in touch with me on LinkedIn, visit our LinkedIn page where you can subscribe to the podcast and visit our website www.rx-group.io to find out more about us. See you soon.